Good morning. I'm Lori Bedell. Our lead pastor, got a little buzz. Our lead pastor, is, um, Mark Meredith, is on sabbatical, and he'll be back August 12th after a time of rest, renewal, and rejuvenation, which means more fun for me. I'm just uh, consider it a complete joy to be here with you this morning. So I want you to um, listen carefully this morning, even though it's 93 degrees outside, because I'm going to tell you how to get really rich. You heard me right. We're going to talk about how to get really rich. Well, ever since the time of Solomon, people have been aware of treasures and treasure hunting. We read in Proverbs 2, 4, that Solomon said, if we seek, is there a lot of echo? Okay. So um, if we seek treasure, we seek wisdom as if seeking treasure of silver or gold, that God is faithful to give it to us. And I know I need wisdom. So if you would pray with me this morning, we're going to ask God for the wisdom. Gracious Lord, what a privilege to be together with you this morning to dig into your Holy Bible. We thank you that we can have joy and fun, but we don't want to take your teaching lightly. For we know it has important and serious meaning. As we gather today, turn our ears to wisdom and apply our hearts to comprehension. For you give understanding. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. So did you see in the news this week that some teens found a wallet, and in that wallet was $700 in cash. They contemplated what to do, and they decided to return the wallet to the person that it belonged to. And he happened to work, lucky for them, at Cold Stone Creamery. And so he treated all of the teens to ice cream. And similarly, there was a family in um, Stanton Island, and they found what for years they had thought was a... um, electrical box in their backyard bushes and it turned out that it was a safe that contained $52,000 in cash, gold and diamonds and they found a name inside the safe and they found out it was one of their neighbors and the safe had been stolen from them years before and they returned it to their neighbors. Now wouldn't it be fun to all of a sudden just come upon a treasure to just be suddenly rich? I know uh, people are fascinated with this, finding something of value. I know I like thrift store shopping treasures. One time I found a coach purse and I bought it for $7 and when I got it home and I looked in the inside pocket, there was a $20 bill in there. (laughs) It's always great to find something that's of more value than what we pay for it. And if it's free, it's even better. So this is why I think people are fascinated and they love the Powerball. I've never bought a lottery ticket before. I told my kids, I'm like, I don't even know how to buy a ticket. Monica said, well, there's a big sign on the gas station door, Mom. It says, buy lottery tickets here. So I guess you can buy them at the gas station. But um, there's also so many TV shows. There's video games. Uh, we, video games often have treasure hunts. We spend three billion hours a week on this planet playing video games. And there's all these TV shows about treasure hunting, many of them on the Discovery Channel. There's, there's, they have all different names. One of them is American Digger, and they show up in somebody's backyard, and they dig and dig and dig until they find something interesting or a, a treasure. And then, I mean, who hasn't watched uh, an antique roadshow and thought about, what do we have in our garage or in our attic that might be worth something? 
And then there's that show, Storage Wars, right? There's the Storage Wars wannabe shows. There's the Storage Finder show. There's the Storage Wars Miami. There's the Storage Wars Canada. And this is where these professional buyers go to a storage unit, and then they've been locked up and closed, and nobody really knows what's in them. And they bid on those storage units, and they hope to find a treasure that's worth more than what they've paid. And so if you were going to find a treasure in your backyard or in a storage unit, what would you want to find? So just take a minute, and the first thing that pops in your head, just tell the person next to you, what is the treasure that you would like to find? Well, during my daughter Britta's freshman year at college, Britta and her roommate had a treasure hunt of their own. The girl that lived across the hall from them decided that it would be a great prank to hide all of their right shoes all over the Azusa Pacific University campus, which was a great idea until it wasn't. And that was when she figured out what it cost to replace Birkenstocks and basketball shoes and Nike shoes, and it wasn't such a great idea. But I don't know what Britta did to maybe deserve that prank or what she did to reciprocate, but you'll have to ask ask her about that. But one thing I do know is that Britta values her shoes. And isn't it interesting, as you shared what treasure you would want to find, that we all value different things. We all seek after different things. And sometimes it's hard to know what is of value. We live our lives trying to figure out, do I work harder or spend time with my family? Do I practice for sports or do I study for school? Do I spend time reaching out to neighbors and making new friends or do I have boundaries? and emphasize that in my life. How do we know what's really of value and what we should invest in? Well, Jesus addressed this with his disciples. And we're going to take a look today at his parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. Now, as we've been learning in this Summer of Simple 7, trying to say that seven times fast, right? Summer of Simple 7, Summer of Simple 7. We've been learning about parables. And that parables help us understand the kingdom of God. In fact, the central message that Jesus had was to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. He shared that this God was like a loving father that ran down the road to meet his son. And that he showered his son with gifts that he did not deserve. And that the kingdom is where this gracious God effectively reigns, where God's will is done. And the kingdom of God is the same thing as we read about in the kingdom of heaven, right? The Jewish people didn't want to utter the word of God so holy and precious on their lips, and so they used, this is a great SAT word for our high schoolers that are here, circumlocution, used a different word in place of it, circumlocution, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and even the kingdom of Christ is the same thing, right? There's not a separate kingdom for Jesus, separate kingdom for God. It's all the same as we read in scripture about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ. And so um, we have glimpses of the kingdom now. It's, it's now and not yet. It's not here in full. We know that we can still have suffering. We can get sick and we can die. We can pass away die and pass away. That's another example of circumlocution. 
using a different word for the same thing. Um, The parables that we've been examining of the kingdom, they describe the kingdom to us either in a plot or in a description that's a similarity. And today we're going to look at two parables that are twins, and they talk about the value of the kingdom. So let's take a look at this text found in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. So these parables are simple, and yet they're extremely profound for the implications they have for our lives and how we lead our lives. The disciples that Jesus shared these parables with, they would have been very familiar with the idea of treasure, as we mentioned. You know, back since Solomon, there were treasures. And um, we know that... Uh, We think about treasures. I think about this, right? Johnny Depp, as you're leaving the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and he's there on his big pile of treasure. Well, this is not exactly probably what Jesus was describing to the disciples. In fact, they have found thousands of coin herds in the Middle East, like jars usually, sometimes a box, jars with coins, jewels, valuables that were stashed away. And since they didn't have ATMs and Wells Fargo's on the corner with safety deposit boxes, the way that they had security was to bury a stash in the ground. And they would find it. But what's interesting is all of those stashes, they found all thousand of them. The people that put them there are no longer here to go bury up the money and spend it, are they? But they provided their security. It's interesting that even in Qumran, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found little scribblings with descriptions of where to find treasure, where to find silver. You know, like go to the Johnson's house and walk four paces and then go here or there. But they're no longer there. They can't really understand what they mean. But there were, even there, there were descriptions of where to find hidden treasure. So in this story, we don't know why the man is in the field. He could have worked there. Maybe he walked it often. Maybe he even planned to buy the field in the first place. That's not important to the meaning of the parable. Nor is it important that he buried the treasure again and didn't tell the owner of the field about it, right? To us, kids who return wallets with $700, it sounds kind of unusual not to tell the person, right? But in the Jewish tradition, when you bought it, you owned it. And so to the disciples, this didn't sound unethical or strange. They probably thought, boy, he's a shrewd guy. He buried it again, and then he bought the field. And some people would say, have preached about how the field is the world, and Jesus is the treasure. And I don't believe that's the right interpretation of this parable. If you want to talk to me about it, you can buy me a coffee or maybe a frappuccino, since it's so hot today. And I will explain that to you, but we don't really have time today to dig into that. But I believe the simple meaning is the value of the kingdom. In his joy in finding the treasure, he went out and he listed all his furniture and his goats and his chickens on Craigslist or eBay and he sold them and he bought the field so that he could have that most valuable treasure. So in the passage on the pearl, the merchant is seeking good pearls. But instead of finding the 
pearl. He's in search of it. He's looked for something of value. Not only did people bury treasures, but they would also have valuables like jewels and pearls that they would carry on their person, maybe in a little pouch. They'd take it with them, right? This was their security. They could trust that it would be there for them when they needed it. And um, this merchant decides to sell everything else he has. We could imagine he maybe has a whole stockpile of pearls, baskets of pearls, and he sells them all just to buy this one pearl. So as we look at the verses kind of side by side here, we can see they're twinning, right? They both start out the same. The kingdom of God is like, as some other parables start out. They both start out the same way, and they both finish the same way. Two people who took, they had to take action, right? They sold everything to gain the treasure. They wanted it more than anything. So as we look at the next slide and we see that the middles of these passages are different. It's kind of like twins. They look the same on the outside. They're different on the inside, right? In in between, we see a difference. The, The person that is on the field, he trips over the treasure and he just finds it. The um, merchant seems to be seeking something of value. And the um, person who buys the field, he has joy. So what's important about this parable is maybe what it's also not talking about, right? It's not talking about that we have to buy the kingdom, that we can buy our place in the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know that from reading these parables? We really don't. We have to look at what else God, or Jesus said about how we gain the kingdom. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is my Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. We also read that blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of God is theirs. That we need to come as children. And on and on, we see evidence that we don't buy our way into the kingdom. For it's a free gift of God through Jesus' death and resurrection by the working of the Holy Spirit that we get the kingdom when we just want it by acknowledging that we need it and want it. And we receive it when we acknowledge that we have nothing to buy it with. We cannot earn it. As the familiar song goes, I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. And don't worry, J.D., I won't sing it. (laughs) When we stop clinging to the securities of this earth and submit ourselves to the good and gracious king, we receive the kingdom. It is a joyful trade-off. And this would have been very familiar with the disciples, right, who had to leave quite a bit to follow Jesus. They were familiar with the cost. Well, I know someone else who is familiar with the cost of seeking the kingdom. And this is my friend, Dr. Dot. We were in school together. We have become fast friends. And Dot has visited our family a few times. He's very dear to my whole family. Um, We have a lot of fun when Dot comes to visit. Uh, You know, what do you do when a Nigerian pastor comes and visits you? You uh, take him to see a Tesla. And uh, he decided he liked the Tesla, but there weren't enough charging stations in Nigeria yet, so he's holding off getting one. Um, He shopped at Justice because his granddaughter, who's now eight, her name is Justice. So imagine America where there's a whole store with your name on every single thing that they sell. But Dot wrote his dissertation on how to bring shalom through transformational leadership, how to bring peace to his city of Jos, Nigeria. 
And Aunt Joss, Joss is considered the plateau state in Nigeria. It kind of cracks me up. It's like another way of plateau living. But um, Joss, or in Joss, started a church, a school, and social services that serve the needs of people of all religions, Christians and Muslims alike. And in his city, thousands of people have lost their lives in recent years. The Nigerian government tends to turn a blind eye. There are other Christian leaders who have given in to corruption. As we go to the next slide, we can see this is Joss just weeks ago. Continually, there are bombings. This is the market. We saw justice here in Issaquah, and here's the market just recently bombed in Joss. It's happened over and over. And for the people that attend his church, there are barricades on the street because when they go to church on Sunday, they try to eliminate, eliminate the opportunity for bombings. The things that have happened to children and Christians in his community are so horrific there is no way that I could even begin to describe them to you in our nice other plateau service. It's alarming. And we know that so many Christians around the world live this way. And yet his people in his church, with joy they serve, with joy they're there. He's there leading this effort. And he realizes and lives into the fact that even if it costs it all, the kingdom is worth it. It is far more valuable than anything that they have to lose. Now, um, when we think about Sammamish, how does this translate for us? I mean, we don't have to deal with the Boko Haram here, right? But we do have people that are just as much in need of hope. Anxiety is so high. People have financial problems, relational problems. Teens are especially challenged here in Sammamish, and the data keeps bearing that out. And people are seeking after the wrong treasures. Now, I know somebody. Um, oh, this is a Facebook post you can see here um, that somebody in our, in our community, right in our neighborhood, posted just a couple weeks ago on the Ask Everything Sammamish page. This family lived here in our community for five years, and they got to know one family. And he's not really complaining about it. He says, let's change the culture. We lived here five years. This is somebody who shopped at the same stores that we shop at. Their kids went to the same schools we go to. They maybe even live on our street, and they knew one family. And as you read through the comments, some people say, well, that's not been my experience in Sammamish. But so many people, and even after I took this picture, there's even more comments. There's like a hundred comments of so many people saying, I feel the Seattle freeze. I feel isolated. I feel left out. I feel like people don't accept me here. And so what does that mean for us in our community? What about the city of Sammamish? Well, I want to introduce you to another friend of mine who I have been completely inspired by. And um, I think you're going to really appreciate him. He has made a choice of finding the kingdom, and that's here in Sammamish. So come on up, Corey Farrow. Come up and join me. Now, Corey, it makes a pretty good story that I met Corey last summer at 3 o'clock in the morning in the Fred Meyer parking lot. Now, you might wonder what I was doing there, but Corey was there because he was... 
He just returned from one week of Young Life Camp and was just about to go on a second week of Young Life Camp with students from Skyline High School, Beaver Lake Middle School, and Pine Lake Middle School. Now, at the time, Corey was just a volunteer with Young Life. I mean, just, right? But he had a big job at Microsoft. He was what we used to call a yuppie, right? Young, upwardly mobile professional. He had a really nice salary at Microsoft. And he was volunteering his time. He has a beautiful wife, and he's a new dad. And um, yet, Corey made a decision to switch and become full-time staff with Young Life. So why did you make that switch, Corey? Yeah, so um, my wife and I had actually been praying for a couple years about making the transition into full-time ministry. And um, as we were getting ready to have our first kid in October, we were just praying about, you know, God, what do you want us to make space for um, as we enter into this new season of life? So we just felt really called to front-load our life with ministry, specifically with students in this community, um, and then also to make space for family and then trust that God would provide us with an employment opportunity that would enable us to do that. And, uh, yeah, so after a lot of prayer, we decided to go on staff with Young Life. So, Corey, I know that you spend a lot of time. You work in the Pine Lake Middle School store. You eat lunch at those cafeteria tables, right, with the little short benches. You play basketball at the Y with a bunch of kids. You're spending all this time with kids. What, kids, what compels you to do that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, honestly, just students need Jesus. Um, I mean, that's the simple answer. Um, I, uh, I found that, you know, students can never have enough caring adults that will show up in their life to communicate to them that they're loved and that they have value um, and to convey to them that Jesus offers them something better, not just asking them to come to our service or not just come in and asking them to adopt our religion, but really conveying to them um, in a relational way that Jesus offers them something better than what the world offers them. Um, and then having adults that will consistently show up and continue to show up uh, regardless of that kid's response. Um, so that's what compels me. I just want every kid uh, that's in our community to know that they're loved and have value and that, uh, that Jesus offers them life and life to the full. That's so great. I'm so thankful that he's doing that here in our community. So what is your vision um, for Sammamish as you do this, Corey? Yeah, so um, I didn't have a Young Life background when I was growing up. So when I came on to Young Life staff, I mean, my big conviction was that, you know, I think every student that's in our community deserves a real chance to hear about Jesus before they graduate. Um, and right now, a lot of times, it's like we have every church does its piece, Young Life does its piece, and we hope that all adds up to everything. Um, but realistically, like, we don't reach every student that's in our community. So the vision is that every student would get a real chance to hear about Jesus. So I spend a lot of time working with churches for trying to figure out, like, what do we need to do, you know, to make that a reality. So there you go. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much. And Corey's going to be here after the service. If you want to ask him more questions or just encourage him, we just so appreciate that he's with us this morning. So as we read in these parables, the treasure of the kingdom of God shows up unexpectedly or it is disclosed when we seek it. But sometimes for the finder of the field... He could have walked over it so many times. We could just walk right over the treasure and completely miss it. Kind of makes me wonder. I have to think sometimes, am I so, have I listened to so many sermons? Am I so familiar with the message that I can answer questions better than the Bible answer man? But maybe I'm missing the treasure that's right there. Have I seen it as like an electrical box in the backyard and not actually seen it as a treasure? Is that there's hidden value in the familiarity of the gospel. Or perhaps we're looking like the merchant for all these good, valuable things, so many good, valuable things that we miss. The real pearl, the the, the kingdom that has more more value than anything else that we could possibly imagine. 
And as a community, imagine if we truly trusted that the trade-off was worth it and we did it with joy. Oh, that's a big one for me, doing it with joy instead of, I have to do this, right? Um, just people here in the room, just think of the impact we have as we go through the city and we impact people with the kingdom. It's not just about trying, it's about being transformed by the Holy Spirit and trusting God to reign in our lives and our community and to truly make a difference. Wouldn't the man in the story be such a fool if he just threw some more dirt on that treasure and he went away and he did something else? He never showed back up to buy the field? Jim Elliot is pretty famous for saying, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He isn't a fool if he gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How valuable is the kingdom? If we lose everything else, it's still a joyful trade-off. We are offered the gift of unfathomable new life, but we cannot receive the gift without open hands. Often pastors will give an illustration. They'll send you home with something to remember what the sermon was about. I have in my kitchen drawer this gold fork. And um, I don't know if any of you remember, but uh, Pastor... Bruninger, when he was here, a pastor who was here years ago, he um, had a sermon where he gave us all a gold fork, and it was about dessert. And I still remember it was about the best is yet to come. Does anybody else have a gold fork sitting around somewhere at home from that sermon? And, and the gold fork was the best is yet to come. The kingdom of God is yet to come. And so I tried to find the fork this morning in the drawer, and it's not there anymore. Somebody probably used it to eat a salad or something. But today I'm going to send you home with an illustration that you cannot throw away, because for most people, their hands are attached to their arms, and this is an illustration that's attached to your arms that's going to go with you wherever you go. So um, this morning, we know that we can either live life, as, as uh, Trevor Hudson writes, we can either live life with closed clenched fists or open hands. Here the hands are illustrated by Katie Hilliker, one of our talented eighth graders. I bought this in the youth auction. I wanted it so badly I put the highest bid on it to begin with so I could go home with it. And here she is just so perfectly illustrated, these open hands. When we hold things tight of the world, we put our security in this life and the treasures of this earth. We live with closed fists saying no to God and his treasure and his kingdom. But when we have open hands, we express that we desire to receive all that God has to offer. Open hands to the Holy One are open to those around us. And only open hands with repentance and belief can receive the gift of the kingdom. As you sit now, I invite you to place both of your hands in your lap. As you do, curl up your fingers into tightly closed fists. Imagine in these tightly closed fists are all the treasures that you hold, your life, your family, your career, your possessions, your future hopes and dreams. Do you feel the tension build up in your hands spread as you hold them? Now hear the words of Christ as if they were coming from a deep place inside you. The kingdom of God is available. Repent and believe the good news. 
And as we move into our last song, as you are able, allow your response to find expression in the slow opening of your hands. May you know the joy of receiving the kingdom treasure.